Somebody's backing up. Oh. Okay. That you may know. We're kind of wrapping it up with uh, even that statement comes into play here. There is, as we get into this, uh, the statement about being a child of God, of being in the family, of things that are... We're talking about the Holy One. We're talking about the Most High God, Creator of all things, and that somehow He's going to include human beings as part of this uh, family that he is putting together. And I wanted to pull up some Old Testament stuff. This is so... um, Sometimes when we get used to hearing language, we don't... Our ears don't go, oh, that's not... uh, That's unique or that's different or maybe I need to pay attention to this. Because it becomes common. So the idea that a uh, child of God can become just, well, sure, that's just how it works. We don't really have a whole lot invested in it. I want to go to heaven. And maybe sometimes it grabs us to think that that could really, truly be. That we could be part of his family. Not just bypass hell, but really be part of the most ultimate, the ultimate being that is. And we get to be a part of it. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, it wasn't common language. You don't just get to be. I mean, the the announcements of becoming a child of God, a son of God, was a big deal. To start with, the sons of God are divine beings, not human beings. God's creation of these super beings who were helping him and had roles to play in creation somewhere and in the heavens and, and on earth, those are the sons of God. Then he calls Israel and in a unique way and he says, you are my people and you will be the sons of God, children of God. And he includes David and Solomon. There's some some specific statements, but it's not like generic, y'all, y'all are just my children. I mean, just pat you on the head. No, this is so unique, so powerful, so amazing to be part of his family. But let me back. I'm just going to give you some verses. So in Job... Right at the beginning, Job 1, 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also was among them. So he's one of the, one of the sons, which means one of the divine beings. He had a role. But this is a, this isn't Satan, this is a, 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 an accuser, not, not a name. So this is, the sons of God are God's angels. Remember, we talked about uh, God's everywhere present, but he also has agents, angels who are scattered around, and they keep an eye on people, and they take notes, and they report back. Well, this is jo- in Job. We're getting an account of that. They have been out. They've been checking things out, 
And then they come back together, and there's one of them, an outlier, who is sideways about Job. And so the name, Satan, is, means accuser. So here's the accuser guy in the group. And so that's where the, the Job 1-6 thing comes about. So there's a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. They got their reports, and they're going to, you know, say what's happening and he's the accuser is among them in 2 1 job 2 1 again there was a day when the sons of god came to present themselves before the lord and uh, the accuser came again and he's going to complain about about job and he gets everything because god's been so nice to him and that's why he's he's uh listening to the lord so you get a little bit of that and then i wanted to pick up hosea so in Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, the number, of, yeah, the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. You're not my people, now you're going to become children of God. Paul refers to that later and says, that's us, the Gentiles, the people who are non-Jewish, not a part of Israel, are going to be included now as children of God. So Hosea 1.10 kind of gives you a clue about that. Uh, Jesus uses it in Matthew 5.9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So it starts showing up. You just start seeing that happen. So we get to First John, and he's using that language about being the children of God. And that's the whole point of that you may know that you are, that you have a relationship with the Father, and that he has something that he wants to do in your life. He, he has given you life for a purpose, and you get to live your life out before him, and the agents are still around, the angels are still around, and they're taking notes, and they have meetings. That gives you a clue about the meetings. So they have these meetings where they get together and compare and, you know, what's happening. And um, it's pretty awesome to consider that that's, you know, still part of it. it that, all that didn't go away. That, that's still part of what we are, what we're dealing with in, in, our, in our lifetime. But we are on the last chapter. We're wrapping up First John in this series. So let's take a look. Believe in Jesus. 1 John 5, 1 through 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith and who can win this battle against the world only those who believe that jesus is the son of god it's putting all of look at all those things that's five verses filled with amazing truths everyone who believes that jesus is the christ the Messiah, the anointed one who was promised from long ago and God has brought him to this, to this place 
in history. And that person who believes that has become a child of God. You go from not being a child of God to being part of the family, from being outside, kind of on your own, and, and headed for less than the best for life and forever, to becoming a child of God with the blessings that come with knowing him. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too, which is John's thing is if we've really got this relationship with God, we're transformed from the inside out. God has worked in us in such a way that his truth, the spirit of God is in us. He's planted it in us. We are no longer the same. We don't have to just force this to come out. We, we just are going to love because he loves, the spirit loves, and the spirit loves the other children of God. So it's going to flow. It's just going to come. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. We're going to stay in touch with what God's truths are. We want to follow those. We want to do what is right, what he sees as, as the important things that got the right priorities, and we're following through out of, the, out of the right motivations. We want to do it not because, well, I'm obligated or my group might not like me or I have to stand before God in judgment at some point. No, we just do it because we love God and we care about his people. So we keep the commandments. And it, it's more of this flowing thing that's supposed to be happening, which is what First John has been about. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. They're the thing that sets us free. If you talk to people in the world, or if you're talking to a worldly Christian, you, when you talk about God's commandments, it, it becomes, oh, man, you know, I just need to be free. I need to be free of that Christianity stuff. I need to be free of that God thing. There's a bunch of uh, kind of well-known uh, Christian artists that have left the faith. And if you read or hear some of their testimonies, it'll come down to something like that. It's burdensome. And now I'm free because I'm away from that. I don't have to do the, just the opposite. Just the opposite. The burden is being without God, it's being under Satan's control. It's being part of the world where chaos exists. And, and here's, here's God trying to bring peace and lift us up and help us to connect with other people in love by keeping the commandments. Every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. Every child of God defeats this evil world world you think man it you know it just it's not changing look at the government look at the the decisions that they made in congress or the supreme court or somebody local when we all come up with that and you watch the news and this evil world is just it's winning you go, no we defeat this world every time as as god's children we keep his commandments every time we believe him by faith every time we stay faithful, loyal to him. We are tearing down the evil one and the evil structure because it's all around us. We play a part, huge part. may look like at times that there's some other, somebody else winning, but that's not going to be the case. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those, this is verse 5, only 
those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So we got this idea. Here's an individual, uh, Yeshua, the Joshua, the changed it in Greek to where we get Jesus. You go, okay, so if you travel back and you pick that up, who is that guy? Who is it that God was talking about, this deliverer, the Savior who was to come? What kind of person is that? And he's a human being, but he's the Son of God. Not just because he had some special skills or he's, uh, his physique is such that it really captures the idea of a God. No, he is the actual son of God. We have just changed everything in, a, in the concept of, of dealing with other beings. We're dealing with this one who's promised as the, the Messiah, the Christ. He's anointed by God centuries before this is even written. When he comes, he, in, he proves that he's the son of God by the things he's able to do, but also he, he's, he dies and he comes back. He's resurrected. He ascends to the Father. Jesus is the son of God, and whoever believes that, that's how we win this battle. I thought it was elections. Just having that, you know, getting the right person in the office. No, we win this battle because we're with him. We identify with him. We are the children of God. We stand for him. We win by obeying him, by loving one another, as he said, by being loyal to him all the way through. And we believe that Jesus is the son of God. Then things begin to happen. We have three witnesses. That's the next part of this in uh, chapter 5. Uh, Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. And the, and the idea of finding witnesses, you want faithful witnesses who tell the truth, and verify is in the legal system of the time. You've got to find the right witnesses for this, which Jesus didn't have. Remember, he had people lying at his court things, and so the, they violated that. But John is presenting, here are the witnesses. So what is the, the significance of the three witnesses? We have water, the baptism, as the beginning of Jesus' ministry. I remember when he goes into the water, God the Father says, this is my son, my beloved son. And he is proud of him. And, he, and that's the beginning of his, his ministry. The Holy Spirit shows up. He's there. We got all three in that place as Jesus began his ministry. And the blood... The crucifixion, the conclusion to his earthly ministry in accomplishing God's plan of salvation, the blood, it, the life is in the blood. It takes the blood, the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Those are all Old Testament concepts, all coming together right there. And the Spirit, the work of the Spirit in communicating God's truth, and he does that through the, through the Scripture. He's done it through the prophets, all bringing that all to the time of Christ. And the Spirit 
is also in our hearts and speaks to us and clearly identifies Christ as the one. So it's the water, the blood, and the spirit. And the three witnesses are telling us he is, this is it. This This is the truth. This is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And God's testimony in verse 9, since we believe human testimony, testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. He has indeed. And we saw that from the gospels. And he has said, this is, this is him. This is, this is my only begotten son. Yeah. Jumping on down to 10. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. True truth. So it's a different kind of truth. It's the truth verified. We know it in our hearts because the Holy Spirit is in our hearts. We see it in the scriptures. He's verified it. The, the water, the blood, the Spirit. But we've got testimony around us witnesses around us and in us and our hearts join and say yeah this is true this is true truth it's not an assumption it's not i'm hoping this works out this is it and to go in opposition to that is to call god a liar which is part of the issue that john was dealing with at that time uh, as he's writing this to the churches and yeah, we still have people who have trouble accepting that Jesus is the Son of God today, but not in this room. So, key to eternal life. Here's bringing all that together. This may be a memory verse you remember from, from back when. First uh, John 5, 11 and 12. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Whoever has the Son has life. This makes it pretty easy. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. And toying with that in any way, redefining who Jesus is, redefining who God is in this thing, and everybody's accepted, and all gods, all religions get you to the same place. Those kind of statements are really clear. People don't have life. They do not have truth. They are not recognizing the one true God. They are not recognizing his son. They are not following his truth at all. And this is what God has said and has testified. This is how you get eternal life. And that life... That eternal life is something that begins the moment we believe in him and extends forever. So it's a beginning, and then we begin to live it. And as we are loyal to him, we can grow, we can develop, we can experience more more of him, more of what he wants to bring into our lives. All of that, just because we're hanging out with, with the Son of God, that, that's what he wants. So... He's given us eternal life. It's not something that, oh, we wait till the pearly gates down there somewhere. That's coming, but it begins now, and that life is different, which is all of First John. He's saying this is how it's different and, and how we can live 
uh, rightly before God. And if we mess up, we confess it, we get it right with him so that he restores us and we just keep on walking with him. So we're going to walk with him in this life. And there's confidence, confidence on this. 1 John 5, 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. I've written this to you. So he's written this down. He also says that at the end of the gospel of John. And he says, I've, I've written this so you can know. So now you know where I stole the title for this thing, that you may know you have eternal life. And it is available to us, and it is a, it is not the same as just going through life doing things nicely or in, even in agreement with the things of God. We must believe it. We must embrace it. We must allow him to work in us and through us. So believe in the name. I've written this to you who believe in the name. You go, okay, so all right, that name works for me, but what what is that? The concept of the name is his being, his his personhood. His his name represents all of who he is to in his works, the things that he does, how he works in relationship to other people and and so to believe in the name of Jesus is to believe in this in the whole of all he is. Why would one of the big commandments be not to take the name of the Lord in vain? And and as I was growing up as an Oklahoma boy, that just meant you cussing. That has nothing to do with it. Why would that be at the top of the list? It has nothing to do with it. His name. Holy is his name. His name represents his being, his personhood, and all of his works to be glorified, to be treated as nothing. Talk in vain, it's saying he's worthless. He doesn't come through. God's a liar. God's incompetent. God has no power. You can't trust him. That's how you take God's name in vain. Anybody ever done that one? We glorify his name. We lift up his name. Because we honor him. And all that he is. And all that he does. I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that you may know you have eternal life. Believe in the name. Know you have eternal life. That's confidence. That's being sure. That's knowing for sure that that life is, is available, that God is faithful, that he will follow through. And when we are walking with him, we got, we got it. We can be confident that we have that life now. And not only now, but that extends into the future for all time. That's confidence. 
On top of that, prayer, a privilege, responsibility, and benefit. And those are the next two verses following uh, having confidence. So I've got this relationship. We believe in the name of the Son of God. We have eternal life. Then, verse 14, we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. He hears us. He hears us. So this is, this is a whole different kind of, of approach. We can be confident when we ask for things. We have this relationship. Remember, we're children of God. We can be sure of that. We can know that we have eternal life. We have this whole new relationship with him. So he hears us. This is a... Uh, uh, we can be sure of that. Here's, here's the a rub on this one. We ask for anything that pleases him. And you know how that one works. We have to get out of ourselves. We have to go beyond the, the temptation to, Lord, I just want to be comfortable or... Uh, I just want you to take care of all, all my needs so I don't have to go outside and work in the heat. I need you to, to we start coming up with the stuff. Get me the right thing. Make that person change so you know they do what I want them to do. Do, do what pleases me is what we typically bring to the Lord. And he's saying, I just let you know... Uh, if you're a child of God, you want to be loyal to me, you would want to do what pleases me, which means somehow we have to find out what that is. We have to get in tune with him, listen to him, get close to him, and then adapt our thinking and our prayer prayer life to the things he's trying to do, which is you know altering people, bringing them closer to him, no, opening up whole nations to his truth. Uh, but it can be some other kind of things, some fun things too. So here's, let me tell you a couple of stories. Maybe more than that. He hears us. So this is, uh, um, I, I know I've told you before, but so I'm down at Natural Falls, hanging out, praying, I've got a meeting coming up in Arkansas, but I do want, I, often when I go, I go early, so I'd pull off so I could hang out at the falls and hike around and pray over there. I got my little notebook, and I'm, all right, Lord, what is it that I'm supposed to, you know, whatever, you know, with this, you know, the, at this meeting, what am I supposed to, you know, so I'm getting ready to write down my notes. And then I'm, I'm standing on the edge of the cliff, there's a walkway on the opposite side, but I'm on the across the chasm opposite. Falls is in front of me, and I'm looking up, and there's one cloud. There's nobody in the park because I'm there early. One cloud up by itself, not that, not super high, just just above, up above blue skies. And I thought, you know, Lord, I bet the view from up there is just breathtaking. And immediately, I fly up there. I felt I felt like just when you take off in an airplane, the whole gravity pull, and I go, "What? Okay, this can't be. 
this is a vision of some sort. So if that's the case, then I, I'm just going to look beyond the, you know, the falls is right there below me. And I look over to the side where I was standing and I, could, I should be able to see myself because, you know, you just go up there. I'm not down there. Which made me think, anybody else down there looking at this? Because this seems odd to me, just to be floating around up above the, the falls. But all I asked, I really didn't even ask, I said, wouldn't that be great to be able to be up there and take a look? And he just, sure, that'd be cool. Was it against his will? No. Did it interfere with anybody's anything? No. Wouldn't it just be cool for one of my children to come up and enjoy that view that he just talked about? You go, hmm. And he puts me back down because I didn't know how long I was going to be there either. So he brings me back. I'm back on the side and I go, that was really cool. There's that whole pool of water down at the bottom of the falls, crystal clear, just bubbling down there. And I said, Can I go down there and just kind of look at the fish? Just see what that looks. Pew! Go down there and look at the fish. In a little bit, come back up. That was really cool. Now, can I go somewhere I can't see? Because I, I don't know. I haven't done all this before. How about over at the lake? Because there's a lake that goes around the little hill that's there and you can't see it. You've got to hike back through there. So the hill's on the other side. The lake's on the other side of the hill. So can I go see the lake? So pew, go see the lake. Then I come back. And now I still have to write my notes and I'm thinking, I am really kind of jazzed. This thing was, that was, that was cool. I didn't know you could do all of those things. That, that's a fun thing to do. But how do you get, so the, the, the opportunity to do that, to, to enter in as a child of God into the things that God says, you know, I've got something for you. Probably not like what you think. Probably something better. So do you really want me to follow through on your request or would you like for me to take you further? And I am one who's going to vote for, do whatever he says. Go the direction he wants to go. Let him bring it his way. And then see how that all unfolds. As you, as you get into uh, just trusting him. So that, that's, a, that's a newer thing in, in terms of just, you know, flying around. That, that, that was different. It's in Scripture. And that, that was one of the concerns that the guys had when Elijah took off, remember, in his chariot. And the sons of the prophets, and he, they're in a school being trained by Elijah and Elisha. And they go, they tell Elisha, well, we're going to go search the hills because, you know, the Lord probably just picked them up and moved them somewhere. Why would they think that except that Elijah had been picked up and moved somewhere? Occasionally. Also, the early, earlier prophet, when he's supposed to go talk to Ahab, and he said, go tell Ahab I'm here. And he said, I'm not going to do that because the Lord will pick you up and move you somewhere. So... This isn't new. It's new for me. It's just not, it's not new. So the Lord, you know, he's going to move people around. But he also brings people into your life. So when years ago at Oklahoma State, having a Bible study, Cass is in the Bible study, I asked the Lord, so should, should I marry her? 
And then I didn't, I didn't get like no voice. Nothing happened. So I asked that, well, have her come over. She'd never done this outside of the Bible study time. Have her come over to the apartment because we were just off campus, uh, my roommate and I. Have her come over and, and tell me she's interested in, in, in a relationship. So she comes. She calls and says, can I come over? The sorority's busy and I've got to study for a test and I don't have a quiet place and can I just study over there? Sure. She comes in and then she says she was interested. I said, well, hmm, should we get married? Some, something like that. So she didn't say no. So <laughs> the next step was we had to talk to her dad, who I've never met. And we're going to do that. That was a Wednesday. We're going to meet him on Friday. And so he was confused because she had gone to some fraternity event or something at school with a guy named Randy. So she think, he thinks I'm that guy. And I have to explain that I'm, I'm not. And I've never dated your daughter. And he's like lost in this whole thing. But we prayed that God would use this, that moment. If he said yes, if he said no, it's off. But if God moved in his heart and opened that door, then we would move forward. He said yes, amazingly. And so we get married. We pray for an apartment. We prayed for an apartment and kind of wrote out the design that we'd, her first apartment in Arlington because we had to move to Texas, had to go to seminary. She's going to finish up school at the University of Texas there in Arlington. So when then we went down for a weekend to look for apartments and we find one that has the right price, the right look, exactly the right location, and that design is what they had. Go, huh, that worked out good. We had no money. I worked for the... Uh, uh, VA department there at, at, on campus. They didn't pay a lot. And, and I was on the GI Bill at school. So we, we are gifted a trip to Hawaii for a honeymoon. While we're there on the beach at Waikiki, we're praying for enough money to go to school because i got to get back and pay for seminary. And we arrive back in Tulsa, get off the plane. We're taken out to dinner, and some people gave us enough money to make that happen. Now explain to me how many of those circumstances happened accidentally. Or does God answer prayer? Does God know what we need? Can God come through? Does he listen to his children? Can we have confidence when we pray and ask him for help and direction? Can he surprise us with things we didn't even know were possible? Are we just going to keep the same kind of Christianity that just keeps doing the same old thing the same old way? tell me because he comes through always has always will he's still at work he still wants to take us further and farther he wants us to know that there is a God in heaven who loves us who calls us his children and he wants to show us what it's like to be the children of God. If only we would listen and go his way. 
He goes on, discerning the prayer for a sinning Christian. If you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I am not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. So how do you know? How do you know which sin is what? Because he doesn't say. There is no list. You have to ask God. Then what? You stop praying and you follow his instructions. So if you don't know how to hear from God, how are you going to know? You just keep praying, and you always pray, always, this person, good stuff, bless them, Lord, and God in heaven saying, I told you to stop praying for them. But isn't that hard? I've had it happen, significant person in my life, and the Lord said, no, don't pray, you stop. You don't pray one more time because I'm taking that person home and you're done. And you go, man, that is hard to do. As hard as it is for people to remember to pray for others, try not praying for somebody. And you go, that just seems cruel. That just seems mean. That seems, no, no, the time has come. It's done. It's as far as you can go. Never told me what that sin was or what crossed the line, which would be interesting, but maybe not not something you want to find out. But whatever it is, there's a point. He said, that's it. And as the children of God praying for people, we need to know the difference because there are people we need to pray for and people we need to encourage and people we need to build up. And then there are times where we are violating the will of God to continue to pray good things for someone he is taking in another direction. And also our minds get wrapped up in that. And then we get all twisted up in theology and we think, well, he's cruel. He de- he's just mean. Look what God's, I'm praying all the time. God doesn't answer prayer. And he goes, I told you to stop praying. Stop praying for that person. He's not kidding. This is life and death. And he does take them out. He did take them out. There are wicked actions that lead to death. We need to know the difference. We need to follow him. We need to be faithful in these things so that we are doing the things that God would have us do. Verse 18, reason to trust. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. The positive part of that is, as long as we are loyal to the Lord, and we're listening to Him, we're following His direction, we have the evil one at a distance. We have Him at a disadvantage. I mean, we, we have the advantage because of who the Lord is. 
What if we decide to do our own thing? What if we just slow down? I don't know if God really, he doesn't really listen to my prayers. I don't like what he's doing anyway. So I think I'll just, yeah. God's children do not make a practice of sinning. What's he saying? If that real thing is happening in us, we know the truth. The Holy Spirit is in us. He's going to guide us towards that which is right and good. That which is going to honor the Lord, which is going to uphold and and bring glory to the name of Christ. That's what's going to be happening in us. The practice of sinning is I'm just going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't trust you anyway. I mean, I'll, I'll claim you. I even go to church, but not really because I still want to man- manipulate things the way I want them to be. And that's practicing sinning. God's son holds them securely when they're walking with him. And the evil one cannot tear them apart. That doesn't mean that he doesn't have access. Remember what happened to Job, the most righteous man on the planet. But the reason he became a target, the Lord said, okay, just try him. You think he can't handle it. I tell you, he can you're walking with the Lord, there's a good chance he's going to use you as an example to one of those beings too. You just don't know. Verse 19, not of this world. We know that we are children of God and not the world around and and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. We are the children of God, operating in truth, spirit of God's in us, spirit of God and the and the Lord Jesus is holding us securely. We're the children of God. But those in the world, those outside of that, family, friends, whoever they are, even your favorite uncle, aunt, whoever it is, if they're not walking with Jesus, they're in the world, and they are under the control of the evil one. Their thinking, their philosophy, the things that they do, the priorities, the way that they give you advice, are all going to come from the evil one. It helps to know that lest you be influenced by someone who's offering input that may be from a source you would prefer not to have it come from. But the children of God are operating under God's uh, dominion, operating for his kingdom, wanting to honor him. And the rest of the world is headed a different direction. Now, the idea is we live so uprightly. We walk with God. The light is in us. The love is in us. So that in the world, those who are under the control of the evil one go, that, you know, I kind of don't like the darkness so much. I think I like that. And they can come out of it. That's the idea. We want as many to come join the family as we can get. Verse 20. We know, and we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. That's the source. That's where it comes from. And we know the Son of God has come. And, and when John started saying this, he said, we, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. We were there. We, we've, and since he rose from the dead, he's seen him 
the resurrected Jesus. And then Jesus has come to visit him on other occasions. And this is written before Revelation, but he comes and sees him there. So that he's still seeing him. And we know that the Son of God has come. Yeah, absolutely. He is the only true God. He is eternal life. He wraps this whole book. It's actually a letter. He wraps it up in verse 21 with this. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. If you're reading that in another translation, it says, keep yourselves from idols. Those are other gods. Remember that? Other gods, other demons. There's, there's another source of divine being trying to drag these people down. And we've been dealing with the different spirits as he's been talking through the book, through First John. They existed in those days in the Roman Empire, in the Greek world that this is written uh, from and to. They are still around. They don't die. So they are still an issue. They may show up in a different way. That's probably why the New Living translated this way. Keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. But it doesn't hurt to remember there are real beings out there trying to rip you apart and rip you away from loyalty to the Lord, and they would like to take you down. That exists. But it's an interesting way to wrap up the letter. He doesn't even say, this isn't even my handwriting like Paul does. Y'all be good. See ya. You know, nope. Yeah, keep yourselves from idols. <laughs> All right, John, which I think is a, is a good move because we are going to follow as God's children, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit and go their way. So that you may know you have eternal life, First John. If you have questions, thoughts, comments, this is a good time to bring that. You may be wanting a nap, so you may not.